This is a much more chill group than the one we had this morning. They were, they were a lot rowdier. So you guys are kind of had a nice, sunny, relaxing day, hopefully, and you're barely conscious right now. So we'll see how that goes. So for me to you, the peace of Christ be with you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, uh, my name is Jason, again, uh, one of the pastors here with this crew. And, uh, and for some reason, uh, my family, uh, even before our kids were born, Lisa and I, uh, or right when Jaron was first born as a baby, we have this, I don't know, bad habit, uh, running thing going on, where other families with kids, uh, and usually it's slightly different families with slightly different kids, uh, seem to connect with our family real well. It's been sort of a personal family ministry to, uh, to connect with some folks. And so I was thinking in this week of, of some of the great connections. When Jaron was first born and the first uh, church plant, church startup that I was pastoring with, uh, the Wiesner kids, Matt, Mariah, and Micah, and, and how they would play with Jaron as he was a little toddler and getting a little bit older, and they'd come over to the house and invariably something would get broken. And then there's the Greer children, who were the most destructive of all. Some of you remember uh, Trinity Greer, their dad, awesome name, uh, and Nikki Greer, their mom, and some of you know those guys, but Rainey and Jared. And every time they came over, if nothing seemed to be broken, we knew we'd find it eventually. Because every time, something get broken. And now, uh, great friends with Jared and Bryn are, are Fred and Zoe, uh, who are here tonight. Hey. And uh, they don't break stuff so much as as rules and expectations and, and kind of uh, social norms. They, they, they tend to violate those on a regular basis. Um, and it's just one of those things that when kids are around, things get wild. And when things get wild, stuff gets broken. And so early on, had to decide if the price of brokenness was too high for what came out of that. And I think back on, uh, on the Wiesner kids, knowing that, that at least one of those kids came to faith in Christ during that time and in part through the relationships that our families formed with, with them and their mom, Terry. Uh, I think of the Greer children and, and just the, uh, the adventures that, uh, that my two kids, Bryn was born by that time, and, and how they just had this great relationship together before they moved to, uh, to Austin, Texas. Or San Antonio, and wouldn't trade that, wouldn't trade that for anything. And I think now about Fred and Zoe and their dad, Brian, and, and the great friendships that we have there, and realize that there in the middle of my living room where they tend to play is this wonderful 100-year-old light fixture that has these glass globes that when we first bought the house some dozen plus years ago, was missing the middle one that was the lowest because no doubt it had been broken. And then I happened to find one a few years back at, at the house parts store and bought it as a gift for my wife. Uh, and so now they all match. And I have long since given those glass globes to Jesus. Because yeah. <laughs> right? I know if they survive the unsanctioned labor, uh, lightsaber fights, stuffed animal tosses, you know, jumping cheers from rock band accomplishments, things that I have said do not do, uh, that if they survive, it will be a miracle right on par with water into wine. So uh, I have let those go. Because for me, the price of brokenness is not too high. In fact, if those globes, for 
just for one example, somehow got in the way of Fred and Zoe and their dad, Brian, having, having a friendship with Lisa and myself and Jaron and Bryn and, and seeing them be encouraged in faith and, and following Jesus and figuring that stuff out. If I thought for a moment something as trivial as 100-year-old pieces of glass stood in the way, I would smash them with a hammer. You'd, you'd join me, wouldn't you, Fred? Because sometimes, and maybe often, brokenness is actually worth the price. And even those here who have experienced brokenness oh, in some of the most gut-wrenching ways can often find something in there that God can use. But we'll see what that looks like. Because again, to be fair, as we're in this series called Wild, you know, the reckless pursuit of untamed faith, we need to be clear-eyed about what we're talking about here. That when things get wild, stuff gets broken. But if it's a creative destruction, it has this wonderful ability to make room for the new. That's the power of, of the right kind of destruction. And so one look at a passage of scripture that, that talks about this creative destruction that Jesus brings on the scene. And it's one of the few incidents. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. You have Bibles there if you want to pull those out. Taking a break from the screen. Felt like we were getting a little disembodied there with the scripture. So I figured I'd put it in your hand while we still actually use books um, for the next few weeks or whatever it takes for that uh, creative destruction to take place as well. Uh, but it's one of the few incidents that appears in all four Gospels. You know, of course, the crucifixion is in all four. The feeding of the 5,000 is in all four. And this incident of creative destruction, for some reason, was so pivotal to who Jesus was that all four Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, figured it had to be part of, of the story they were sharing and telling, uh, that they wanted to put that out there for people to, to see. So we pick it up in John chapter 2, and we'll catch it at verse 13. Verse 13 and 14 is where we'll start. It says, The Passover of the Jews was near, that high holy day, the most uh, celebratory, important religious observance that the Jewish people had. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. So stop right there. Don't read ahead. Go ahead, read ahead if you need to. But no, don't. Uh, because that's actually nothing unusual. That there being animals being sold, people exchanging currency, was the common occurrence during this season of celebration. And so Jesus was stepping into a situation that was Business as usual. Nothing out of the ordinary. For generations, they'd been, they'd been carrying on this way. What was happening was every Jewish male over 19 was required to pay a temple tax. And so there needed to be a, some money available or exchange of currency. And so every, every male would pay a half shekel, which is about two days' pay. Uh, also, there had to be animal sacrifices as part of that, that system of, of calling on God for his forgiveness. And there needed to be the appropriate animals available. And so the, the temple officials appointed some inspectors, and fairly normal. 
And yet if you know it all, if you were here last week in particular, Jesus is not polite or tame. He's kind of wild. He's very wild. And so business as usual doesn't hold a lot of weight in his eyes. So here's what he brings. Dear gentle Jesus, verse 15 through 17. It says, making a whip of cords, he drove out all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. No, no discrimination there. He also poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. And he told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. The other gospel writers use the phrase, a den of thieves. And his disciples remembered that it was written. I believe it's Psalm 69. Zeal for your house will consume me. So a wild reaction. And when things get wild, stuff gets broken. So why is Jesus breaking their stuff? Why is he so worked up about this? This, this practice had been going on for literally generations. Well... They weren't merely providing some religious goods and services. They were extorting people. They were taking advantage of the very brokenness of people seeking God and his forgiveness. And at their most desperate moment, there was this group of middlemen trying to make a buck on every exchange. And so when you gave your half shekel, well, for one, shekels weren't very common. And so you had to exchange your money. And you couldn't use the Roman coins or the coins from other foreign lands because invariably they had some, some figure of the ruler or a god or goddess on there which made them idolatrous and, and unwelcomed in the coffers. Uh, so they'd charge an exchange fee, a rather exorbitant one. But also, if you wanted exact change, there was an additional fee, if you can imagine. So there's none of this passing the offering plate and you wanted to give 10 but only had a 20, and so you... You made change, like some of you guys do. No, no one does that here. Um, but it'd be okay if you did. We just would take a cut. No, we would But that's what they were doing. So there was extortion going on there. Then also, if you wanted to bring your own animal, you were really rolling the dice. Because almost by definition, any animal that had traveled from outside the religious boundaries would be considered unclean. Who knows what it walked through, touched, came in contact with and if by some miracle you started out with a healthy whole unblemished animal if it was days of travel you might just see jerusalem in the distance and then that stupid sheep turns an ankle you know and now it's hobbled or gets body lice in samaria because you know you should have known better taking a shortcut through samaria because you'll get body lice um or, or goes cross-eyed, or who knows, going to be rejected. And so they would sell the proper animals. But there was a slight markup. The doves, for instance, which were the, the sacrificial animals that the poorest of the poor were the, could afford, and were made available so that anyone could have a sacrifice, they charged 15 times more than the going rate. Then a few hundred feet that way, or rods, or furlongs, or whatever they called them then, you know, you could get, you could get a couple doves 
for 15 times less than inside. It was a racket. So by the time Jesus had shown up there in Jerusalem, they had become this parasite that just preyed on broken people, people seeking God, people needing forgiveness and to experience his presence. And they inserted themselves into this spiritual shakedown. But worse than just the extortion, I think, was the fact that they were doing it in a place that was supposed to be the most open and accessible to those seeking God. The court of the Gentiles, which God had established as a place that was inside the boundaries of the temple, and yet was this transitional place that those who were not Jewish, either by ethnicity or through a rather elaborate conversion process, could still hear the word of God, could still show devotion, could still have conversations. And there's no evidence that the Jewish people ever did what God told them to with that. And so if some non-Jewish barbarians wanted to show up, they'd be crowded out, shouted down, unwelcomed. In fact, the passage I'll preach on a couple weeks from now has some Greeks showing up and quite possibly inside the courtyard of the Gentiles. And you wonder, was there finally room for them? Because there wasn't at this point. So try to imagine what that would be like. So I got, kind of was inspired by this and thought we might uh, institute some new policies here uh, at Artisan to be a little more biblical. So anyone bring their own Bible with them, like a Bible from outside? You kind of hold it up real quick. New policy. Those are no longer allowed in the sanctuary. Um, so starting next week, you're going to have to leave them outside, or I would suggest in the car or perhaps at home. Not to worry, though, because always thinking, we'll provide some Bibles. Of course, you're thinking, well, great. Yeah, they're already here. Policy change on that as well. Um, they used to be free, but uh, just going to start charging for those because a lot of overhead. Uh, all your pastors are independently lower middle class or bivocational. Uh, and we want to see that change. And so we're, we think this is a good way to make a buck. Uh, we buy them by the case. So we get a pretty good, good, pretty good price on them. Uh, but again, there's lots of hidden costs, a lot of overhead here. And again, looking at this, I thought 15 times was way too high a markup. So we're just going to add a zero. So $5 Bibles, and you're glad to pay it, aren't you? Be 50 bucks starting next week. Uh, and of course, don't even be confused here. You're thinking, well, great. I'm glad to help out. $50 Bible, I'll have it, take it home. The Bibles need to stay. Um, because again, uh, much as in the Old Testament sacrificial system, um, don't name that lamb because Skippy's not coming home with us, you know? He, uh, <laughs> uh, so I don't know if we'll, we'll donate them or set them on fire or get real Old Testament, but uh, we'll, ha- we'll gather them. There'll be sort of an offering of, of these $50 Bibles you've bought uh, end of the service next week. And uh, details don't matter. If by some odd coincidence you happen to, to buy this, what looks like the same Bible the following week, it's purely a coincidence. Um, that's, uh, they, they look a lot alike. We can't be selling those in here, though, because this is a holy, sacred place, and we want to maintain some decorum in here. So we've decided the lobby will be the place that we'll sell these Bibles. 
But there's also another policy change. We used to let children be wherever they wanted to. You know, Jesus, let the little kids come to me. Great. We just don't want them in here. Um, And so kids and parents will only be in the lobby and those who haven't been baptized. So the unbaptized kids' parents in the lobby, and I apologize beforehand if it gets a little kind of raucous with the, the selling of Bibles. And, and, oh, I forgot to mention, we, will be take, we only want payment in loonies. So not, not Canadian paper bills, but the actual gold dollar coins. And there'll be an exchange fee, of course, and exact change will cost you. And there'll be like a 15% not paying attention tax. What's that? You'll owe us 15 extra percent as well, uh, if you missed that. As insane as that sounds, or fun as it sounds, this was worse. This was worse. And so it's no wonder Jesus lost it. (laughs) And so whenever there is a disruptive force in the marketplace, whenever some innovative uh, new idea comes on the scene, the markets always respond. Sometimes respond rather violently. And so we've seen some of that in our economy, right? And so the market responds to this new economic reality that that seems to be invading, this disruptive force, this creative destruction that's happening. And in John chapter 2, verse 18, it says that those, those Jewish officials and leaders says, then they said to Jesus, what sign can you show us for doing this? You know, what, what economic school are you from? Because you're clearly not a, not a Keynesian. That's a, that's a real nerd monetary joke for... Keynesian, and I pronounced it incorrectly. Thank you. We now know the money nerd. Um, <laughs> called you out there. Uh, you're, not, you're not a centralized uh, command and control economic person here, Jesus. Uh, what, what's up with that? But it wasn't an innocent question. They weren't curious about economic theory and, and this new innovation Jesus might be bringing to the marketplace. In fact, the other gospels make it even clearer, particularly Mark and Luke, that it was this event of Jesus turning everything upside down in the temple that incited them to begin plotting his death. Because you start messing with my 401k, my stocks and bonds, if the S&P takes a plunge, you take away my golden parachute, we're going to come after you. And so Jesus wasn't merely doing this spiritual revolution or political revolution. He was talking economic revolution as well. They had so many reasons to kill him. (laughs) They really did. And so creative destruction was what Jesus was bringing. He was literally clearing the tables so perhaps something new could happen. This economic theory that... uh, Again, for the money nerds and those who might be curious, uh, this Austrian economist in the first half of the of last century, Joseph uh, Schumpeter, which I'm also pronouncing incorrectly, I'm sure, uh, had this theory or, or popularized it that, that entrepreneurs, those who bring these innovative, tumultuous new ideas, that in the wake of the creative destruction they may bring, where all of a sudden the buggy whip makers are out of business, when all of a sudden the, uh, the printing press allows the Bible 
to be in everyone's hands. When newspapers are no longer the way that news is communicated, that creative destruction brings brokenness. It has a price, but it makes room for something new. And so our current economic realities are are a bit of a sense of this. Uh, some of, uh, have, have wondered. With all the things happening in the world economically, are we entering a time, entering a time of, a, of a great recession? Is it a time of a great depression? But increasingly, there's some folks talking about it being a time of a great restructuring. That whatever happens economically, it's not going to go back to the way it was. And whatever Jesus was doing, it wasn't going to go back to the way it was. I think of, uh, of the experience my wife Lisa had when she worked in the advertising world uh, a few years back. Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising, a wonderful kind of somewhat prestigious middle-tier ad agency that was, had a really good office here in Rochester. And during the, the time of the internet bubble, man, the money, they did Super Bowl ads, the whole deal. And then that bubble burst. Some of you remember that. Some of you were 11 years old, but some of you remember that. And when that bubble burst, all that ad money, all the Super Bowl ads, all the, the print and newspaper magazine, that went away. And Saatchi and Saatchi, the Rochester office, weathered the storm. And when the economy recovered, you know what happened? None of that money came back. Because in the meantime, Google AdSense, viral marketing, word of mouth was an order of magnitude cheaper and an order of magnitude more effective than Super Bowl ads, newspaper placement, magazines. And Saatchi and Saatchi is no longer in Rochester. Some creative destruction. And Jesus was doing that. And there were some folks who were really nervous. There's some folks here who are really nervous. Because when Jesus is allowed to be wild. In our lives, stuff gets broken. And so Jesus responds to this market reaction. He answers them. He gives them a sign. He predicts. If an economist can predict and not just tell you what happened or why they were surprised... uh, I swear, it's like they're reading entrails anyways. There's, there's no rhyme or reason, uh, except for the Austrian school. But again, inside nerd money stuff. Jesus predicted what would happen. And in John chapter 2, verse 19 and 22, it says, Jesus answered them. Here, if you want to time the market, pay attention. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years. It would be a few more decades before it was completed, in fact. And you will raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture in the word that Jesus had spoken. 
And so some of you are thinking, well, that's cheating. He wasn't going to raise the temple back up as his body. You're right. He broke the rules. But coming back to life, that's, that's a pretty big deal. So give him some credit there. Okay. But think about it. The temple. This centralized command and control, scarcity economy of people knowing God. Jesus said, let's destroy that. And in three days, see what new things happen. So what had been an economy of scarcity where, where you had to travel, and if you lived far away, it might be a once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage to make it Jerusalem. That the sheep and goats and doves literally could run out. That if Jesus is the temple of God's Spirit, and then even wilder, he says, You will be the Spirit's temple. And this thing is broken open and set free. And what was once scarce is now plenty. Because sheep and lambs and doves, they run out. Jesus doesn't. Those middlemen that could take their cut at every transaction. And Jesus says, we're destroying that system. No more middlemen. That changes things. That's some creative destruction. And so it can be a bit nerve-wracking to think about that, to contemplate what's allowing Jesus to be real and wild in our lives, in our church, might look like. But we can take some encouragement from how he's already broken some things, and made room for new stuff. I think of the, the history already here in this, this rather young church community. Been around for four years or so. I think of uh, just a couple, couple springs back with Josh here. Want to do a garden. So he asked, early spring, can I do a garden? I said, well, going to have to discuss it and vote on it and get back to you. And very respectfully and politely, he said, oh, okay, let me know. So I turned to the four people nearest me and said, who wants Josh to be in charge of the garden, you know? Josh, you made a big mistake saying you'd be in charge of the garden, but now it's you. Perfectly good garden out there. But I saw the whiteboard (laughs) with a garden planning group, and apparently it's not good enough. And I saw that they're going to destroy a part of this perfectly good lawn across the driveway there. And worse than that, at least from the drawing I saw, it doesn't even line up. It's, it's like at a diagonal, something about the sun and stuff growing, whatever. It's ugly, though. It's just, and they're going to tear up that lawn. And then they're going to plant the further seeds of that lawn's destruction right in the open, gaping wound that they're going to put out there. You know, broccoli and tomatoes and just, but not a nice lawn. And they're going to make room for something new. They need lots of help, by the way. So, uh, so talk to Josh afterwards. Uh, he'd appreciate it. Uh, but unless we literally break ground, there won't be room for new. Or think of, uh, of Pastor Mike, who, uh, who a couple summers back had a perfectly functioning musician's guild. In fact, we had, again, more musicians than a church of, of our size at the time, about 80 people. 
if you can imagine, only two summers ago. There were so many musicians that they rotated so that most Sundays it was a super band. And Mike said, ah, not good enough. He had this crazy idea of, of having multiple bands. So he tapped Ben and asked Pastor Scott, and, and he took on one himself, and destroyed a perfectly good musician's guild to create space for something new. Now, ironically enough, just as he had it all settled and it was going to work perfectly for our one evening service, we decided that one evening service, that we need to destroy that also. Perfectly good service. Everyone knew each other. It was packed, which is part of the issue. There was no room for new folks to feel welcomed. And we wrenched it apart. We lost our oneness. Or did we lose our sameness? So that now, uh, even here tonight, this may be close to as many people worshiping, seeking after Christ as when we went to two services. But we had to break something to make room for something new. And so there is some hopefulness. There is some, uh, some things we can look at as we, as we imagine the future. Uh, and so for followers of Jesus... For those who perhaps stood last week, and I'm not going to ask you to stand again. That, you know, we don't need to do that every week. That stood in that, in that act of physical prayer saying, you were tired of the easy Jesus and wanted to follow the wild Jesus. I just want us to, to understand as best we can that when things get wild, stuff gets broken. And so expect some brokenness. Embrace it even. Because as I read scriptures, and as I look at my own experiences, Jesus doesn't do anything apart from brokenness. But it's not brokenness for just the sake of damage. It's brokenness for the sake of making room for something new. And so on the other side of that brokenness, here's the promise. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You can just listen. Where it says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And so that's why we put up with the brokenness. That's why we even welcome it. Because the old junk has got to be busted up. For those seeking, trying to figure this thing out, and hopefully you found that Artisan is a, is a safe place uh, to hear some wild and dangerous stuff about Jesus, you are rightfully wondering whether this is for you or not. Because if you're anything like me, even today, but certainly before I was a follower of Christ, you're thinking, but I like my stuff, and I don't want Jesus to break it. <laughs> I want to encourage you that, that there's others just like you that are barely across that line of faith that you're staring at. That in just the last few weeks, in fact, some four or five folks that I at least know of 
uh, have made that kind of profound step of faith of receiving Christ's forgiveness, following his lead. And so know that you're in good company here. And that that creative destruction that he's working in their life to make things new uh, is available for you as well. And here's the promise of what that can look like. Romans 6, 6 through 11. And we'll close with this. It says that we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed. And we no longer would be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died in Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. He's broken its grip. And the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider. Please consider. Consider. Yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. So God, my prayer is that in my life as a follower of Christ and at this church that we would be a force of destruction (laughs) but of the kind that makes room for the new. And we thank you that that you did not leave us trapped and in our brokenness but though fully God you emptied yourself took on our full humanity And scandal above all scandals allowed us to break you. And so for those who are followers of Christ, prepare us. Because things get wild. Stuff's going to get broken. So help us receive that brokenness and make room for the new. For those seeking and searching, I would much rather they were, they were a bit nervous about following the real Jesus than all too comfortable coming after the fake one. And so put them at ease that while there is brokenness, it is a brokenness that makes room for new. And that it's not just destruction, it's creative destruction. And that in that is the only way to new life. So help them see that. Help them be encouraged by those who, even in the last few days, have, have already gone on before them. And maybe have, still have doubts and questions, but they're at least doubting from the other side of faith. Give those seeking and searching the boldness and courage to, to take that step of brokenness themselves. And we will just trust you to do all the wild untamed things you desire so that your purposes would be fulfilled in our lives, in this church, and in this community and world that you've called us to be part of, in this broken world that you want to see made whole. For it's in Christ's name we pray.
Amen. Amen. We'll respond in the remaining time of worship, however God leads. One of the ways you may choose to do that is by approaching the communion table where those emblems of Christ's spilled blood, the wine and the juice that are labeled for our forgiveness of sins, is made available. Where that emblem of his broken body, you can tear a piece of it and dip it in the wine and the juice, is available. If you're seeking to follow after Jesus, that is an appropriate place uh, to receive grace for that work and that journey. If that's not where you're at, an incredibly mature response would be not to go to the table. Instead, to reflect and pray and think uh, where you're at. That'd be okay as well. And if anyone wants to pray or has questions, I'm going to hang out in the back corner there. If last week where some folks stood because it seemed appropriate, that isn't where you're at, and that was a little little nerve-wracking, it's okay. Just sort of sneak back there this week and talk to me. And that can be a good starting point as well. Uh, But I'll be available, and others are also. And so, worship as God leads you. Uh, Respond to his spirit moving you. Amen? Amen.